Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast. We've all heard God can fix what the world has broken. It sounds great, and we believe it. But somehow we still feel broken. I know God can, but how? Why do we still feel shame and relive pain? This is Unbroken, an intensely practical series designed to connect the dots between what we know God can do and actually experiencing it. Hey, before we jump into the message today, I'd like to bring a point of clarity to something that uh, came up last week in the message. If you were here for part three of our series, we talked about how to not live as a victim and how to actually become a victor. How many of you are here for that? And one of the points that, that I kind of digressed uh, along the way, it was intentional, it was in my notes to talk about, was how we see a lot of, of protests and things taking place around the world today and saying that sometimes those protests are actually victims with a, or people with a victim mentality that are actually not uh, going for healing. What they're actually going for is more of a, a revenge atmosphere. And I didn't address any movement in particular. And one reason, or the actually the main reason for that, is because I didn't have any particular movement in mind. I mean, there are movements all across our country. Just in our own country, we've got anti-Trump, we've got anti-Muslim, we've got Black Lives Matter, anti-police brutality. If you look around the world, we've got anti-regime, anti-ISIS, anti-certain people, and whatever else. So there, there are movements, many of which are fighting for good justice all across the world. And, and I didn't have any particular movement in mind. And the mistake that I made by doing that, one of, uh, one of my closest friends in the church came to me later and just said, hey, what did you mean by this? And I appreciate that they asked the question because what I didn't realize was by not addressing a specific movement, what that allowed was every single one of you to take the movement that most closely hits home for you and to think that was the one I was talking about. And so the question they asked for them, since it was uh, something they knew would be far from me, to, to think that I would be attacking that movement. They said, Jimmy, I know that's not you. What did you mean by that? And, and my answer was, well, for, I wasn't talking about any movement. But I do want to clarify the point that I was making. Here was my simple point, if I can clean this up for anybody. What I was saying was when we see people go out and do protest, and when the end result is worse than what we started with, for instance, when people go out to protest the death of one person, but in that protest, four more people get killed, cars get overturned, stores get looted, and things get burned. What I was saying, and I will stand behind this remark, regardless of the movement, is that those people are operating from a victim mentality wanting revenge. When things are better afterward, then those were people who were operating from a healer mentality to bring positive change. And as I said last week, I'll reiterate, we are called to bring defense for those who cannot defend themselves. We are called to fight for justice. So there's nothing wrong with taking to the streets. And I also was not saying that every person in any single movement were all victim mentality or all healers. It usually gets blended together. I was simply saying that's one way we can look around the world. We can look at the results and see if people are operating from one mentality or the other. Does that clear things up? Is that good? All right, well, we are on our final part of our series, our Unbroken series we've been doing. Today's part four. We've looked at some key things in our lives that we know, that we know God wants to fix, that we shouldn't be broken. And yet somehow these things just seem that far away, that even though we, we know God can bring healing and make whole all that the world is broken, it's not our experience. And so we've looked at topics like shame 
and condemnation. And then last week we looked at how we shouldn't have to live as a victim. And so our goal for this series has been to give for every single one of these things an incredibly practical, tangible, you can walk out this door, put it into place in your life, ways to have victory over these things where we stay so broken. You've probably heard some stories from me if you've been around Grace Life for any period of time. And if you have, you know that I was a teacher for about 11 years of my life while I was also a youth pastor and worship pastor on the side because sometimes it takes a while to make enough money as a pastor to quit your day job. And so uh, anyway, it's easier when you're a teacher because you don't get paid much in the first place. You've kind of got a baseline that's, that's equal there. But one of the things, you know, because I was a teacher, I grew up, my dad was a contractor, always had interest in houses and things and, and maybe could have been an architect and an alternate life. Uh, I, I thought that I could find hope for my bank account if I would flip houses on the side because it was easy for me to do. My wife and I had renovated everything we'd ever lived in. We had a lot of house working skills and so forth. And so we, we, uh, we were one of those people that proved why the mortgage uh, people needed an overhaul because on a teacher's salary with a house I could already barely afford, they allowed me to take out a mortgage on another house that I couldn't have afforded if it were my only house. And it was a Civil War historic home, and they allowed me to take out a mortgage on this multiple $100,000 home to put a multiple $100,000 investment into to ultimately try and flip a half a million dollar house. And I had a teacher's salary. And that's mind-blowing, but of course, I thought this was going to work out just fine because you guys aren't like me at all, where you make plans and assume everything's going to go according to plan. And then when it doesn't, now I know you've never had that happen, but so we get into this huge financial situation, and as I'm talking with the banker before it's going, he's like, you're, you're going to have no problem. Your credit is so good. I don't know how you got it in the first place unless you, like, blackmailed somebody in the credit bureau. But your credit is so good, we'll be able to get you the house, we'll be able to get you the loans that are renovated, everything's great. But evidently, he met, left out one step, which is as soon as you take out the first loan to buy the house, now your credit just took a serious hit. And when you go back in the next week to get the loan to renovate the house, they look at you and go, what are you thinking? So now I suddenly own this multiple $100,000 historic home, and I have no money to fix it. So I do what every one of us would do. Once again, oh, no, I'm sorry, you guys probably don't do this, but I turn to Mr. Plastic. And, and because of my great credit, I had a lot of plastic options back in the day. And so I was able to completely renovate this home all on plastic at interest rates that are in accord with plastic. Can y'all feel my pain? But that's not a problem because in my plan, this house was going to sell immediately for asking price and my wife and I were going to be awesome. It didn't go that way. Matter of fact, it reached the point where I stopped answering phone numbers that I didn't know. Because it was American Express, MasterCard, and Visa, several Visas, all saying, when are you going to pay us? I stopped answering the phone because it was one of the banks saying, when are you going to pay your mortgage? Because we reached a point where I had to choose between, am I going to pay my mortgage and keep a house, or am I going to pay that mortgage and keep all the money that we will owe, even if I lose the house? That was the worst part. Even if we lost that house because I had done all the renovations on my credit card, I was still going to owe that. Hopeless. Anybody know that feeling? I think everybody here can relate. But this is the crazy part. We all know what it feels like to feel hopeless, but we have a God who is a God of hope, right? I mean, that's what we say anyway. He does miracles. He provides when there is no provision. He heals when doctors say they can't. And yet so much of the time, Christians feel defeated in life. If you meet Christians, they don't smile very often. 
they're in a position where they don't have any hope. But we all want hope. And so what I want to talk about today, and, and the reason I said we're going to save the best for last, you might want to change your travel plans. For those of you that are here on Labor Day weekend, whoo, you're going to go home better off than the people at the beach. Today we're going to learn how to trade despair for hope. And that's going to be a fun topic, despair. Come on, depression. Who's, who's glad you stayed in church? We're going to do our best. If we're going to talk about how to trade and get a life with hope and joy instead of a life with despair and depression, I think we first need to get some common understanding on some of the words we use. For example, someone could come up to you and say, man, I just ran off the road. Okay, so does that mean you've got one tire in a ditch? Or does that mean your car is upside down in a ravine? Right? And so sometimes when we talk about what is going on inside of us and the negative feelings that we have, we use the wrong words. And so first of all, I'd like to start off and, and deal with depression. I had planned on making depression the word of choice for today until I did a little more research for the series and discovered it's probably not the right word for us to deal with. We're going to deal with a, another word that shows up in the Bible a little more often in a moment. But I want to go ahead and make sure we understand some terms. If I'm, if I'm going to help you with the terms I'm using, we need to be on the same page. And so too often too frequently, we will describe ourselves as depressed. We'll do it very fast. Whereas if you sat down with a professional to look at your life, they would be incredibly slow to apply the word depression to what you're actually going through. Because here's the reality. We all experience sadness. We all experience fear. We all experience anxiety and anger and a lot of other negative emotions. And we'll put those together and we'll say, man, I am just so depressed. Well, you actually may not be. Depressed is kind of the end of the road of when you've allowed those feelings to continually overtake you. There might even be some physiological components to that. But you are in, in a state of being, and we're, we need to be less quick to put ourselves in that state of being. See, here's, here's what I think. I think that we're too quick to label the brokenness in our souls incorrectly. And that gets us in trouble. Did y'all hear that? We label the brokenness in our souls incorrectly. See, the, the Bible actually says that the power of life and death is in the tongue. It would be dangerous for you to walk around all the time saying, man, we're just always going to be poor. And then you pray that God will change the circumstances and keep saying, but we're always going to be poor. I mean, that is like slap yourself in one face and slap yourself in the other side of the face. I mean, you're making no sense. And I would encourage you to stop saying things that speak a negative future over your life. Well, if we're going to do that practically, I think we need to do it in terms of our soul as well. If you want God to heal your soul, maybe we should stop speaking such negativity over the status of our soul. Does that make sense? And so I just think that's one of the mistakes we make with the word depressed. I think we should maybe back away from that. The majority of us, the overwhelming majority of us are not depressed because Monday came. Or because Monday's coming tomorrow. Maybe that's, the way, maybe that's the problem with Christians on Sunday. I thought they don't smile because they don't have hope. They smile because I'm seeing you like in your last 24 hours before you go back to work. And you're like, I'm so depressed. All right, first of all, you're not depressed if you got to go to work tomorrow. That's what I mean by labeling that word wrong. So our main passage today is going to address a much more biblical word for what we're actually feeling. It's in 2 Corinthians at the very beginning. So chapter 1 of 2 Corinthians, if you've got your Bibles, flip with me. We're going to start in verse 8. You may know this passage. If not, it's on the screen right behind my head. And Paul is writing about the circumstances that he's been in, and they haven't been positive. Maybe we can relate. He says this, 
For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. Anybody ever feel like you're under affliction? And so here's what he says about it. For we were so utterly burdened. Man, we were overwhelmed to such a huge point. It was beyond our strength that we despaired. I think despair is a better word to describe where we are most of the time. He says that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we actually felt that we had received the sentence of death. In his situation, things were incredibly bad. He had been traveling around trying to share good news. He had endured much persecution. He was so overwhelmed by the negative feelings and the negative experiences that he had that he said we despaired of life itself. How about Jesus? If you know the story of Jesus, right before the cross, he was in so much agony over the thought of what he was going to endure over the cross that it said his sweat was like drops of blood. So here's the good news for you and me this morning. If you're ever in a situation of outright, total, and complete despair, you're not alone. If you ever get to that point and you're saying, I just don't think that I can handle tomorrow. I think I've received the sentence of death. I don't know what to do and where to go. The good news from Jesus to Paul, they understand. But here's our key problem. I'm not going to leave you there, by the way. That's not, that's not the practical solution. Good luck uh, with that. You're, you're in good company. Have a nice day. Enjoy your mows. No, that's not the message. The, the message is going. we're going to find out how Paul got hope. And we're going to see how we get hope as well. You see, here's what I think one of our key problems is. We don't process our feelings. We don't process our feelings. And it's how we process our feelings that determines everything that happens after that. You see, when we process our feelings, I'm going to give you a couple of points here on the screen to help you, especially those of you that like to take notes because you're going to go back quickly here. When we process our feelings, here are some things that we get to discover. First of all, what do I really feel? Sometimes we need to stop and ask this question. We're just in a bad mood, but we don't really know what we're actually feeling. Are you sad or are you angry? Are you frustrated are you anxious? What feeling is actually going on? And then when we process that question, we can process this one. Why do I feel this way? I don't know if you ever do this, but I will find myself in a mood, and I don't even know how I got there. Has that ever happened to you? You're just driving down the road, and suddenly you're not happy like you were a couple hours ago, or you're at work, and, and you're just thinking, what just happened, or whatever? And there are many times, like, you know, I'm just having a great day or something. Things are just going along well. Maybe it's a day off or something. Watch a little TV. Next thing I know, I'm not in a good mood. And I'm thinking, what, what happened? And, and it's something, like you decided one of your binge watch shows, whatever it is, you watched two episodes and the plot didn't go the way you thought it would, and so you're kind of bummed inside. And then you turn off the show and you start doing something else, but you're still bummed. And you actually need to stop and process this. And, and, and I've had this happen before where I've realized I'm feeling like this over a TV show, a fictitious show. The actor who just died is actually alive and well in Hollywood, and I'm having a bad day over this. We need to process our feelings. We need to find out why we're actually here. And then the third thing is we can find out what is God actually doing. And so as Paul began to process his feelings, saying, look, we were so burdened, we were so overwhelmed, we despaired of life itself. He processes it, and here's the very next thing that he has to say. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength, catch that, beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. 
he's already, just as soon as he begins to experience this place in his life, he's already beginning to go, wait a minute, why do I feel this? What's been going on? Okay, so people don't like me because I've been talking about Jesus. I understand that. Well, I should have seen that coming. Not too surprised about that. God, why are you letting this happen to us? Oh, so it's not about us. You're letting this happen so that we depend on you. All right, I can handle that then. You see, when we begin to process things, then we learn how to respond to them much better. And to be fair, I need you to hear this as well. Because it sounds like today, with the message, that I'm trying to help you replace all negative feelings with all kind of happy feelings. It's not really exactly what we're after, because to be fair, feelings of sadness or despair or any kind of other negative frustration or negative feelings you have in your life, you need to make sure you hear this. They're not always bad. Does that mess up anybody's thinking in here? Like, wait a minute, Jimmy. Negative feelings are sometimes good. I didn't say they feel good, but it's not always bad you're going through them because there are different reasons that we can experience what we're experiencing as we begin to process this. And you're going through something over life, and it's just got you totally messed up. Life just doesn't look like it's ever going to work out. You've asked God to make this thing happen. Maybe it's a relationship that you think is going to finally work. You, you, you don't know what to do. Maybe it's dreaming of a relationship. Come on, any guys? In, anyway, whatever. Remember high school? Oh, she's so amazing. And you were in this mindset that if I can just have this relationship, all my problems will be away. And, and so we can get ourselves into any situation in life where things don't work out the way we want to, but we've got all of our hope and things working out that way. And the negative feelings can actually be God saying the path isn't a good one. And you look and say, God, why don't you show up? This is hopeless. And God says, yeah, yeah, hope is not further down that road. Keep going down that. You're exactly right. Further down that road is not hope. This is hopeless. So I don't want to give anybody some visions of grandeur that you can make every bad feeling suddenly become a happy feeling with whatever I'm going to show you today. Sometimes the negative feelings that you're having are God revealing to you what you're going through is not what he wants you to be going through. Is that safe for me to say? And we'll move on and we'll jump back to what we were talking about. How we process determines everything. So let's talk about how to process. If our ultimate goal today is to end up at hope, let's look at a process where we end up with hope. That is the goal. So let's start with something like sadness and despair. First of all, let me touch on this. Again, if we're going to get somewhere, we need to have some common understanding of terms. I personally don't feel that it's correct to describe despair as a single feeling. I don't think it is. I think that despair would be better described as a disposition. It's a place that you arrive at that you begin to operate out of. Despair becomes a disposition, just like happiness is a disposition, but happiness itself is not one single feeling. You may be happy, you may be excited, you may be glad, and you arrive at this place because of all of those single feelings that you're just, you're in a good place, and you could say this is what happiness is. And I think the same thing happens. You may end up with some anxiety. You may have some anger. You may have some other frustrations. You may have some sadness. And you get to a place where you are just so overwhelmed with these feelings and overwhelmed with the circumstances of life that you go and use the word Paul did. And you say, man, I'm just despair, total despair. I don't know what to do next. 
I don't know how to make tomorrow any better than today. I don't know what to do. Now, granted, you may use the word feeling because once you've arrived at this place, you now know how it feels to be here. So you can feel despair. I'm not saying that it doesn't become an emotion, but I think it would be better if we looked at despair as, an, as a state of being. It's a combination of being overwhelmed by our emotions and our circumstances. A disposition is a place where we hang out and operate our lives. And if we can understand that, I think we can, it can help us because these dispositions are based upon simple feelings. And I just touched the wrong thing on my iPad. My notes went away. There we go. Got them back. Well, I never had that happen. I wonder how well I know them. But here's the, here's the thing. We need to separate our disposition from our feelings. We need to separate I'm in a bad mood from why? Why am I in a bad mood? Is I'm sad over the character in my TV show getting killed off and it made me stop watching TV for the day and, and that sadness has put me in a bad mood disposition. Well, then I need, that's one I can fix. Because I can remind myself that there, there's another season and they'll figure it out, right? See, here's the key. Feelings aren't final. I don't do this normally, but say this with me. Feelings aren't final. The problem is we make them final. Whatever you feel, you're done. We don't process it. We don't try to get rid of it. We don't know what to do with it. And we live out of it. You get angry, you live out of anger. Feelings become final. They shouldn't become final, but they do. Something bad happens to you, so you feel angry about it, or you're sad about it, or you're frustrated about it. So guess what? You're just going to have a bad day, and you're going to stay there because your feelings become final. See, our mistake is that we just wait for a positive feeling to come down from a purple cloud and to overtake our negative feelings. And if our negative feeling is this big, we're waiting on a positive feeling this big to just go poof. And now, now my life is great. We, we think that it, it works like this. My boss came in and said, we're letting people go. You just lost your job. I lost my job. Oh, no, I'm worried. I'm anxious. I'm, I'm upset. I'm, I'm angry at my boss. Why me? Why not that guy? Ah, and I'm having a bad day. And I'm going to keep having a bad day until I win the lottery. And if I randomly get all of those things right and win the lottery, oh my gosh, the, the good feelings, the happy feelings, the rainbows and roses will overtake all of the bad things that happen. And that's the way we live. Seriously, you don't have to raise your hand for this, but ask yourself, when was the last time that you were having a bad day and your solution was just to wait until you had a good one? You didn't actually stop and do anything about it. The last time someone says you've lost your job, what did you do? You decided that things were just going to be miserable until you got a better job with a better paycheck. And now suddenly the better feelings override the bad feelings. I had a friend of mine just a couple of months ago, lost his job. And, and he was coming over to my house for our life group that night. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what disposition is he going to be in? What mood is, I'm sitting here trying to have a happy life group and here's going to be Mr. No Job anymore walking in the door. What is that going to feel like? And he came in with the biggest smile I'd seen in years. That'll tell you something about the job he had. I said, dude, are you all right? He's like, I've never been better. Because instead of just suddenly feeling everything and letting those feelings be final, he did some very quick processing. Like, I was never going to get out of this job that I've been whining about for years if something didn't get me out of this job. We've been wise with our finances. We've saved up a little bit. We're in a good position. And I know God's going to take care of us. So look, man, I'm totally good. 
You know, again, sometimes our negative feelings are God saying you're not going down a good path. Some of you immediately, when I gave you that example, said, yeah, but I don't have savings, Jimmy, so I can't feel good when I lose my job. Yeah, that's God saying, do you know about the Bible that says it would be wise to store up for tomorrow? Right? And so sometimes we get into a situation because God is just trying to teach us his ways. It's what he wants us to experience. We need to separate our dispositions from our feelings. And then, here's my real point, and then we need to separate our convictions from both of them. Everything I've said so far was the introduction to you understanding the the last part of this. Our convictions should override both of those. So how many of you want to get rid of despair and sadness when it's overtaking you? I'm glad I took Labor Day weekend and came for the three of you. I mean, seriously? Do the rest of you, like, you need medication? No, we like our despair and our sadness, Jimmy. I'm not raising my hand. Matter of fact, you can stop talking. I would like to be miserable. I'm going to assume that the rest of you just don't know how to move your arms. For those of you that actually do want to learn how to get rid of the sadness and the the disposition of despair and being in that place and to to get there and do something about it, here's what you need to understand about the word conviction and, and hope. Hope is a conviction, not a feeling. Hope is a conviction, not a feeling. And the biggest problem that Christians have is they walk around waiting on the feeling of hope to suddenly overtake their feeling of sadness. They live out of their emotions, their emotions are final, and they wait on something that's not even an emotion to show up and be a bigger emotion, and it doesn't work. And then they point their fingers at God and say, God is not a God of hope, because I never feel hope when I'm having a bad day. Well, we're not processing correctly. Let me help you here. Hope is based on a conviction of truth that produces an expectation. Now, just like despair, it may become a feeling because once you do live out of that conviction and you reach that place and you have hope and you have joy, you're going to associate what you feel like and say, I feel hope. And it is okay that you, you do that in the end, but what you need to understand is saying that I feel hope is the way you describe the conviction working in your life, but it is a conviction first. Are everybody good with that? Here's what this means to us. Paul showed us earlier how hope is a conviction about what he knew about God and how he would trust in that. So let's go back to this same passage, and I want to show you the sentence we left out. He said, For we are so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves but on God who raises the dead. And that is not enough, by the way. Oh, great, you're making me rely on God. Well, what good does that do unless he writes the next sentence? Because he delivered us from such a deadly peril And he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope. On him we've set our hope that he will deliver us again. See, here's the point. Hope is a conviction. I was in trouble before and God showed up. I was in a deadly situation before. It was life. It was death. People were persecuting me. He had been stoned. He had been through everything. And God had shown up time and time and time again. I mean, if you ever just read about the story of Paul, we should just call him a cat because, like, this dude had nine lives. He managed to get out of death more times than you can count. He got cheated death constantly. So it was easy for him to say, look, you know, my circumstances, they're not good. My circumstances, they're horrible. They, they are so bad, they make me despair of life itself. But I will not live there. 
And matter of fact, if you know anything about this passage, this is a letter he's written to the Corinthian church, the church in this city of Corinth. And he writes to them and says, I am so burdened that I despair of life itself. And if you've ever read this before, you flip just a couple of pages, and in the exact same uh, uh, letter to these people, here's what he says. I want you to catch this. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the, uns the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us because we are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to what? Wait a minute. What's your problem, Paul? How are you telling me you're so you're in such a great place of hope that you're not driven to despair when just a minute ago you told us that you were such in a place of despair, you, you, you despaired of life itself. You thought you had a destiny that's put on you. Here's the key. All he was sharing up front was the raw emotion, the raw circumstances. Here's what I face. Here's what it looks like. I know what you're feeling, I know what you're going through, I've been there, but I didn't live there. I experienced the circumstances, I experienced the feelings, I experienced what would bring me down, I know what it's like to be at the edge, but I didn't live there. Because the minute that I got to a disposition of despair and I was done with life itself, I stopped and said, whoa, what is going on? My hope is not in my circumstances. My hope is in him. And he began to back away from that edge. My hope is in God who raises us from the dead. That's where my hope is. And that is why we are afflicted in every way but not crushed. That's why we're perplexed. But we're not driven to despair because, you know, like how I can just put his words in front of one another. We can just keep flipping around. Because he delivered us from such deadly peril and he will deliver us again. And he will deliver us again. And that's why, that's why we can put our hope in him. Let me ask you a question. Can you put your hope in God? Some of you would go, eh, I want to talk to those people who are a little bit on the fence. How did hoping you would be born work out for you? Oh, yeah, because you like totally had that one all wrapped up, right? I mean, God didn't help there at all, did he? Like you were totally into, I'm going to make sure I live past the first three weeks of life. When are we going to stop and realize what God has done for us? I think one reason we don't have hope in God is because we don't give him enough credit for where we are. I mean, you may not have three beach houses. You may not drive a Lamborghini. I don't know what it is in your idea that God hasn't been good to you, whatever it is, but look around. Just stop and think about your life. We've all got some don't gots, but we've all got a lot of gots. I mean, we are blessed people. So if we want to be honest, if we really want to be honest, our difficulty with hope isn't so much a problem with our feelings, it's a problem with our convictions. That's why we end up with so much despair in our lives. It's because we let our feelings become final. And we don't live out of a conviction that can override it. See, here's the truth. If we trust in God, we always have hope. That preaches well, doesn't it? Let me finish the sentence. If we trust in God, we always have hope because he's in control and he is always working his plan. And I just described your problem because he's not working your plan. 
And we get so upset sometimes because, see, many Christians believe that my life is supposed to be perfect and pain-free, or at least relatively so, and we define relatively. We put the line in the sand and say, God, I don't mind this much problems, but if you go over that line, I'm going to start wagging a finger at you because you should not let my life go that way. And I need you to hear this very clearly. If that is your conviction, then anytime you experience problems in this life, you will have negative feelings and you will not have a conviction of belief that God will deliver you and you will never know hope. Never. If your conviction is that God exists to be your genie God to make you happy all the time, you don't have a conviction to stand on. And that is why you live in despair. And that's why you might actually live in depression, potentially, because you may not have a conviction about God that can deliver you when single feelings start to attack you, when circumstances start to go wrong. I don't think the enemy defeats us with our feelings. I think he defeats us with our convictions. Since y'all haven't thrown at me anything yet, I'm going to go one step further. You really want to know why we don't experience hope in God? Because... Hope is supposed to be a conviction about God. And we've turned it into an illusion about us and our control. You see, when something negative hits our lives, when we get into adverse circumstances, the first thing we do is go, all right, all right, I can handle this. All right, we're going to make a plan B. Plan B, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do it this way. All right, I can handle this. We've got a plan C. We've got savings accounts. We've got medicine. We got this. We, 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 we're good. We're good. Plan D, we're good. I've got this. And it's not until you get through your playbook and flip the page and go blank page. Oh, gosh, I have nothing. And then say it's hopeless. I got nothing. It's hopeless. God's not even in the equation. As long as I've got this, I've got hope. When I've got nothing, I've got no hope. When it's an illusion about us and our control, then you're never going to beat despair because our hope is not in us. So what's your practical takeaway? How can you begin to defeat when these negative feelings overtake you, when you find yourself in a disposition of anger or a disposition of despair? What is our practical takeaway? Your conviction must be greater than your feelings. You see, one of the reasons we do the worship songs we do, do you guys realize there's like a thousand worship songs out there? I mean, you could sing anything on Sunday morning. We only get to sing three. And one of the biggest criteria for what we choose to allow it to make this stage is what it says. I want us to stand in here and sing things that can be convictions. I don't want you to sing things that are fluffy songs on clouds that make you feel good, but you don't really know what to do with when you leave the room. We did a new song this morning, and as you're trying to figure out, how does this tune go? I don't know this tune. I hope you were at least just looking at the words. They were full of conviction. They were something that you can hold on to, something that you can grab. See, here's the reality. If sadness or fear or anger or any other frustration can be a stronger force in your soul than what you believe about God, you'll never have hope. Your convictions have to override your feelings. You have to stop and process. Why do I feel this way? What do I really feel? What is God doing? And now that I've got those three questions answered, what is my conviction that's bigger than that? 
And that's how you can practically not live your life in despair. Let your convictions, not your feelings, determine your disposition. I'll say that again. Let your conviction, not your feelings, determine your disposition. Our feelings shouldn't be final, and we let them way too often. So we're going to close with just a couple more words that Paul had to say on the subject. He went on to say, so we do not lose heart for this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, temporary, right now. But the things that are unseen are eternal. If you want to be able to set aside the way you're feeling for a conviction, it really should be this simple. It really should be. You see, as long as our focus is on a broken world, we will feel sadness. And our disposition will be despair. As long as we hope in the random alignment of positive circumstances to impact our feelings, we will be hopeless. Find your hope in the world where you're going, not the world where you are. And by trusting God's plan, not by wishing for yours. I want to close by talking to one group of people here this morning. Some of you always feel hopeless for one reason in particular. You get out of every bed, bed every single day wanting to feel hope about your life, wanting to feel better about where you are. But the reality hits every time you look in the mirror. You know that it's just not all there. You know you're not perfect. You don't have all of the answers, and you don't quite feel right with God. So you look forward to Sunday and you go to church again and you feel a little bit better, but by Tuesday, once again, the reality is facing you. You have no hope at being right with God. You cannot answer this for yourself. And I want to give those people hope this morning. That is the very reason Jesus came and died on the cross. You're right, you have no hope at ever being perfect. You will never have hope at being holy by yourself. So I will sacrifice myself Having lived a perfect, sinless life, I will die on the cross. I will pay for your sins so that when my Father looks down upon you, He sees you. He sees me, I'm sorry. He sees my righteousness. He sees you wearing that. He doesn't see you and your sinfulness. He sees me, and I will die for you. And what every single one of us has to do at some point in history, whenever it was for you or whenever it needs to be, and for some of you, it's today, where you need to look at Jesus on the cross in the face you just need to let time collapse upon itself and say, Jesus, because you died for me, I want to live for you. If you've never done that, let me help you do that this morning. I want everyone to leave with hope. I'm not going to make you stand up or do anything weird. We're going to pray right where you're seated. Will you all join me? Pray something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me, that you paid for the sins that separated me from God I thank you for your love your mercy your forgiveness and now I want to live for you and so my simple prayer here today is that you would give me a life of great meaning and great purpose 
in your kingdom. Amen. Let's celebrate with those people. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast. For more information about us, you can go to gracelife.me. That's gracelife.me. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash gracelifeme and on Twitter at gracelifechurch.com.